Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading for, from, for today is from the book of 1 Samuel 19, chapter 12, 19 to 25. 1 Samuel 12, 19 to 25. All the people said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of demanding a king for ourselves. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after useless things that cannot profit or save, for they are useless. For the Lord will not cast away his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. This is the word of the Lord. Today's passage, this text from 1 Samuel chapter 12, marks a turning point in the history of God's people. Leading up to today's passage, what bound the people of God together was a common faith in a God who had called and claimed this people as God's own. They followed a common law that this God had given them, a law that governed their life together and ensured power was dispersed and justice was done. The people's only king was God. Now, sometimes God would raise up a popular leader among the people of God, people like Moses or Joshua, Deborah or Samuel, but such a leader was not a monarch. God was the only monarch. Kings were something other nations had. But then in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people of God make an extraordinary demand. The people of ancient Israel, we read, were afraid. They were afraid of the threat posed by other peoples, especially the people of Philistine, their southern neighbors. And so Israel, rather than being a light to the nations, elects to be like other nations. They demand a king, a king who might build up a strong military, a king in whose hands power might be focused, a king, a human king to lead them, to protect them, to keep them safe. We know from history that in times of great fear, a people can move towards what we call today authoritarianism. They can demand a single leader perceived to be charismatic and strong who they imagine might protect them and raise up an army to defeat their foes. In their fear, people can grow heedless of concentrating too much power in just one human being's hands. In 1 Samuel, this move to monarchy at this point in history is described as sinful. It describes as a move away from God's desire 
for the people of ancient Israel, but God honors the people's requests. Sometimes God does that. God allows a people to stray off God's stated path for them, and then, in many cases, to face the consequences of that. But God allows it as God does here. But before allowing that, God has Samuel warn the people, hey, with a king, you'll get taxes, you'll get military conscription, you'll be in many ways enslaved like you were to Pharaoh in Egypt, but the people still say, no, give us a king. And so God grants that request. And Samuel, the prophet revered by the people, the one with the power to make kings, anoints Saul as the first king of those tribes and clans of ancient Israel. What a turning point this represents. This is essentially a move across a line from pre-monarchy to post-monarchy, and we see it in today's text. It's right at that pivotal turn, and we wonder what would God's Word be to a people as they are moving from one era to another. And it's a great question for us to ask today, isn't it? What might God's Word be to a people when they are preparing to move from one era, from one time in history to another? For doesn't it seem to you too like we are right at a point of crossing a line between one time in history and another, between pre-COVID and post-COVID, that history is turning right now? and we are a part of it. We're watching it happen. And one thing we know about these moments in history, as you are moving from one era to another, one period of history to another, is people often wrestle with fear. It can be scary because new territory, new time, a new period in history brings uncertainty. What will it be like? And one way to respond to that uncertainty is with fear. Some of that fear is appropriate as you enter new terrain or a new era, for real threats may lie before you. Israel faced very real threats from the Philistines to the south. And fear can be helpful in alerting you to dangers in a new time and place, especially fear can be helpful. Some of you know this past summer, my dad took me fishing in Alaska. We stayed at a lodge along the Kulik River in the Katmai National Park and Preserve near King Salmon in the upper section of the Alaskan Peninsula. And on one particular day, we flew in a small prop plane where for about 40 minutes as we flew, we didn't see another sign of humanity, not a sign that human beings had ever been there, no homes, nothing. It was land that's covered in snow and permafrost. It was land that we imagined some areas of which had never before had a human foot on it. We finally landed in a remote area and didn't see another soul save one other prop plane parked along the river all day. It was just us. We landed in a small lake, and then the guide blew up a raft, and he and my dad and I then went on this raft down the river, stopping at places the guide would point out to us so we could fish. 
As we were coming down one particular turn, we looked ahead and the guide was telling us, oh, this great hole up ahead is wonderful for grayling. And as we turned the corner, we saw that hole and right above the hole in a dirt embankment just next to it was a huge brown bear. Now, I had never seen a bear that close before. Our guide saw it and immediately pulled our raft over to the side and said, we wait. There is a bear there and we don't want to mess with him or her. So we watched as this bear, we think about adolescent age, played along this dirt embankment for a while. Well, after some time, the guide got restless. We were following the guide's lead, of course, and the guide said, let's all stand up, make ourselves as big as we can, and yell, go away, bear. So that we did for a while. Those are words I've never said before, go away, bear. But I did that day, and the bear didn't care. (laughs) After a while, finally, the bear kind of moseyed up this embankment and walked away. And after some time, the guide said, okay, cautiously, carefully, let's go up to that hole. So we did, and after a while, my dad caught the best fish of the day, a beautiful grayling. was worth the wait, but I am so grateful for the fear that kept our guide and both of us from going to that hole prematurely. Had we and been heedless of the very real danger that bear posed, we might have gotten hurt or even killed. Fear can be really helpful. It could help you make wise decisions. Or for the last year and a half, we have all been afraid with good reason, and that fear has helped us to make wise decisions decisions. COVID-19 has been and is still a very real threat. And so we have tried to spread the word around our nation and world. A bear is near, a bear called COVID-19. So take precautions, wait, be patient, do what you need to do, wear masks, even inside as you worship God. Get vaccinated. Stay by the side of the river. Take what precautions you need to until the bear leaves. Then it'll be safe to fish freely. Fear can be a gift. It can help direct you to take right action. But if fear grows to a point where you are no longer willing to take risk at all, If fear keeps you from ever fishing again, if fear leads you to close yourself off from relationship with God, with one another, with the earth God created, if fear leads you to make bad decisions like it did the people of ancient Israel, we read in moving to authoritarianism, fear is a problem. It is to that fear, that kind that keeps you closed off from God and neighbor, that keeps you from adventuring out in the way God has called you to, that God speaks these gracious words in today's text. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's the word of God proclaimed through Samuel to the people of God in precisely that turning point in history. Do not be afraid. What a powerful word for ancient Israel as they were preparing to move to this new era in history, pre-monarchy to post-monarchy. What a great word for us shifting from pre-COVID to post-COVID. Do not be afraid. 
you've probably noticed before how often those, that phrase emerges, that great exhortation emerges in Scripture. Do not be afraid. God says that to Abram, then to Hagar, to Rachel, to Jacob. God says it to Moses and Joshua and to the people they would lead. God said it through the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. In the New Testament, God said it through the angels and then Jesus, God's incarnation, the very incarnation of God's love, Jesus Christ says it to his disciples, do not be afraid. Now on their own, those words, do not be afraid, they're not much help. Because it's not much help if you don't have a reason why you shouldn't be afraid to simply tell my dad and I as we approach that hole and the bear stood right there, do not be afraid, that would have been not a helpful word. That was a time to be afraid. What is helpful is if you hear, do not be afraid, and you're given a reason why you should not be afraid. What was helpful as we went down there and saw the bear and the watering hole before us is to know that we had a reliable guide, and he was right in that raft with us. We had a reliable guide. Guide. We had someone who could help us navigate that terrain, who would help keep us safe, who would direct us in the right ways and be a support in whatever challenge we faced. That we knew we had in that raft, and that was a great support. In today's passage, we read not only do not be afraid, but we hear this great reason why the ancient people of Israel didn't need to be afraid. The Lord will not cast away his people for his great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. God promised to be that guide with the people as they traveled down a river. And even when the people take a wrong turn, make a bad decision as they do in 1 Samuel in their move to a monarchy or make a whole series of bad decisions and get off course, God commits to being with them, to remaining with them, to loving and supporting them no matter what. A protector guide and loving parent. That guiding, comforting, steadfast and loving presence of God that we believe as Christians came near to us in a new way in Jesus the Christ, in him, God's great admonition, do not be afraid. It took on new import and power for it was spoken by the one in whom the very presence of God saw fit to dwell In Christ, God's promise to remain faithful to a people, even when they sinned, it took on new power and import when Christ came calling people to repentance, to live out healing and justice. When Christ came forgiving sins and even giving his life that those united in him by, with him by faith might die to sin and rise again to new life. We're not simply told, do not be afraid in scripture. We're given a reason not to be afraid. We're given God's presence that finally comes to us in Christ and that he then says to his disciples at the end of Matthew, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, that we have that blessed presence of God with us now by the power of the Holy Spirit here with us in the raft, in the boat, wherever we head. And how can we trust 
that great affirmation? How can we cling to it in scary times? How can we be confident God will not lead us? How can we be confident God is with us, that God will be faithful? Well, Samuel presumes that question, anticipates it, and he offers this answer. He says, consider. Consider what great things God has done for you. You want to trust that God is with you, that God has good things in store for you, that God will not abandon you. Consider what great things God has done for you. Earlier in this chapter, Samuel had enumerated the great things God had done for God's people, delivering them from Egypt, blessing the earth with rain, sending people like Moses, Aaron, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel to deliver them from the hands of their enemies. Consider how God has shown such faithfulness to you in the past, Samuel proclaims, and there is your evidence that God will be faithful in your future. One of the great things about serving a congregation like this with such a rich history is we can so easily consider the great things God has done for us from our past. Back in 1928, if you read our history, you'll learn this congregation was doing great. It had a membership of 300, its largest ever. It had just completed construction on a beautiful facility on Lake Avenue just near Cordova. And it said goodbye to a beloved pastor, and it looked like they'd be able to welcome a fabulous new pastor. Things were looking wonderful in 1928. Then 1929 came. With it, the Great Depression That would mark a turn in history from pre-depression to post-depression. And this congregation was right in the middle of it. And in the middle of that point in history, they faced the greatest internal struggle. We face the greatest internal struggle in our history, according to its impact, at least. The church was preparing to call a pastor who had served previously as the associate pastor at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. They were preparing to call him, and yet some in the congregation at that time were very concerned that this particular pastor was intent on concentrating too much authority in his own hands and not allowing the big decisions to be worked out at a session level. In a congregation and larger denomination that's concerned with this dispersion of power, this was a big issue. And the church was divided over it. So they took a congregational vote after this particular pastor gave a candidating sermon, and roughly a third of those in attendance voted against his call. It was deemed too much to go on, and this particular pastor ended up leaving that church. And once he left, Two-thirds of the congregation left along with him. And this was right as the Great Depression was starting. Try to imagine what that was like as a congregation. And yet we read in the years that followed that, from 1929 through to 1936, the church stayed faithful, God stayed faithful to them. They only had one of the years where they had a budget deficit. And then by 1936, they were celebrated by the presbytery as having the highest per member giving percentage of any congregation in the presbytery to mission. And that they had the largest Sunday school attendance percentage-wise of any congregation in the presbytery. They had ended up thriving after that incredibly challenging time in history 
and in their own community life together. God carried them through. And we as a congregation can look back on that and remember, oh yeah, God carries congregation like ours through challenging times, through moments when history is shifting, through moments when we face significant obstacles and challenges. God is with us, and God's word is the same. Do not be afraid. I am with you always. It's a good word in challenging times, and as they are for you, they are for this congregation, these remain challenging times. I don't know about you, but it seemed to me initially back in March of 2020 that this would be kind of a sprint or maybe a 10K run, this time of quarantine and social isolation and dealing with COVID. Weeks, maybe months, right? Then it turned into a marathon. We discovered, oh man, for more than a year and even long after that, we are really going to have to radically adapt to COVID-19. And then we get to fall of 2021 and those of us who thought, oh, now the marathon is coming to a close, we're finally reaching the end, we can reopen and all things will be fine. Well, we've discovered, no, it's actually not a marathon, it's an Ironman competition. Now we have a 112-mile bike ride to go and a 2.4-mile swim to go. That is, there are all these new challenges, like how do we foster community when it's both in-person and hybrid? How do we face the challenges that COVID-19 has fostered where there's been so much churn and turning in terms of people's commitments and even where they are living and the jobs they're doing? How do we face challenges where many in our community have faced great economic hardship? And that continues. We have ongoing challenges facilities-wise and meeting the new challenges of our day of loving God and neighbor, of doing justice, especially as this congregation has sensed the passion do justice for the immigrant, for the unhomed, live out justice towards the earth, and also live out justice when it comes to race relations. How do we live out that call in this new day and do it meaningfully both in person and online? How do we connect one another and regather after there's been so much dispersion and disruption? There are a host of challenges that face us ahead. How do we care for our facilities? Some of you know that we had a relationship that had all been worked out with Caltech around our parking lot. Turns out that fell through just days before it was set to take place. Now, we as a church have not been as dependent on rental income as so many congregations are, and they have faced extraordinary hardship. We have not, but we still face the challenges of how best to steward facilities, how best to care for our people, how to reach out in love to one another and to the world at this time when history is turning. And it can grow wearying, daunting, and even fill us with fear, the challenge ahead. So let us savor the words of today's text. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The Lord will not cast away his people. Consider the great things God has done. Do not be afraid. 
The Lord will not cast away his people. Consider the great things God has done for you. And from those great assurances, we're then given this call at the close of today's text. Fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Now, fear in today's passage might be better translated reverence, respect, awe, serving God with all your heart. It is immersing yourself in love of God. Jesus would famously sum up the call to love for his disciples in the two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. For much of the last 18 months, we have practiced social isolation out of love for neighbor. Now, as we look to a post-pandemic future where we are able to gather in person as well as online, able to serve people in person and online, able to care for people nearby and far away, what will guide us in our journey forward? May it be love. May it be love that directs us, inspires us, that is our aim. Not fear, but love. Each year, In the month of October, we as a congregation consider how we may live out the call to love the Lord our God and love our neighbor by the pledging of our time, talent, and treasure. We are each, you and I, asked to fill out a pledge card and turn it in by October 25th, either in the offering basket and back or sending it to the church office or filling out the pledge card on the Knox website, giving of our time, talent, and treasure is a courageous act of love in any season. But especially now, with so much uncertainty in the world as to the future, at this turning point in history, it can be tempting to retreat, to fear, to refrain from relational risks, adventures, service risks, financial risks on behalf of others and community that we care about. Don't let, a, let fear keep you from love. As First John reminds us, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. And as you consider how you might pledge to love God and neighbor through the ministry of your local church in 2022, as you think of other ways you might live out generosity in your community, in your lives, with your families, with your friends, with those in need. I hope you can consider not only the classic biblical benchmark of the tithe or 10%. I hope you can consider not only the need of Christian churches like ours today. I hope you will consider especially the great things God has done for us. Consider the great things God has done for us Consider how God has blessed you with life and breath, with the earth and all its bounty, with an ecosystem to nourish you and friends and family and church to surround you in the journey with the Holy Spirit to be with you like a guide in that raft as you go down the river with God carrying you through such a challenging season. There is so much to be thankful for. Consider the great things God has done. And in response to that, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Rather, step out in love, for God is with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen.